This is Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Arabile Gumede and Nastasia Aronsa on Classic 1027. Welcome to it. It's gone two minutes after seven. You're listening to Classic Business Breakfast with myself, Nastasia Aronsa, and Arabile in studio with me. Yeah, good morning indeed. Of course, uh, nothing else but budget is still occupying the minds of some and the minds of many. So we'll get to unpack it just a little bit more as well and get into the nitty gritty parts of exactly what happened yesterday, whether it met expectation and perhaps also just get a few ratings in, I suppose, on, on that budget. I so don't if you were to rate it, well, out of 10? I'm a bit harsh on it. <laughs> um, I felt like there wasn't all the, the glitz around it. Um, it wasn't shocking. It was... Uh, it gave everything that we expected of it. Uh, there was nothing unexpected in that budget. So for me, it does actually give me a four because I, I gave it a four out of ten. And that's because I really thought that we need something drastic uh, in order to change South Africa's uh, serious uh, situation right now, whether it be ESCOM, whether it be unemployment, poverty, inequality. Mm-hmm. And I get that all those things take time, but uh, I still think that uh, it, it needed to, to shake things up a little bit more. All right, so we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, we know we do have an economist, uh, Misha Greater, uh, from Navara Investments, so she will be talking about whether it met expectations. But we have a special guest in studio. We have two special guests in studio. We do, don't we? Before we go there, you actually didn't give me your rating. A four and a half. I'm going to be nice to the minister. And also because he said he's going to be around for a long while because we were worried at the last, I think, colloquium, he said that he didn't want to be around beyond elections so i still see him as the guy who's going to be here for a good time yeah so that's why i was like oh 0.5 for (laughs) willing to you know to to be with us that's great (laughs) okay great so we do of course as we usually do on a uh, on a thursday we've got chris gilmore independent analyst in studio as well so we'll get into that market picture but also, Tash, cappuccino with the CEO. Yes, we've got uh, the CEO of Altron, um, Ted Tognati. And uh, he's had a long, extensive track record. If you go through his bio, he used to be the CEO at MTN South Africa. He was responsible for uh, turning it around and bringing it back to growth and uh, overhauling some of the employee engagement and transforming customer experience. And amongst that, he was at IBM and uh, Microsoft as well. So we've got a long conversation uh, to have have with him and uh, we're going to throw him in the deep end a little bit we're going to not eoh he wasn't at eoh uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> i get it <laughs> yes yeah, so he's going to be with us uh, throughout the show and we're going to have that in-depth conversation with him at 7 41 and in between rope him in so he'll be like our co-host yes yes so we've got chris and Mtetonyati today what a special day it is right tash let's get into the rest of the show of course yes we have the unions raising concern over jobs to be lost at busasa as well uh and uh, and we'll unpack that budget as we've said so we'll get into all of it right between now and eight o'clock yeah let's do it well with that moment of silence let's get into the markets which didn't have a moment of silence however they managed to uh, pick up yesterday they rose as investors were, were mostly led by that mining space, digesting the implications of the budget as well. The RAND uh, really seesawed and yo-yoed in between that budget from between 2 o'clock and uh, 3 o'clock, hitting around 14 rand 36 against the U.S. dollar, and then getting all the way better around 6 p.m. as well by close of trade to hit around 13 rand uh, and 98 cents as well. There. So a really much better figure uh, on the whole for the RAND. By that point, Titumboweni said in the budget that the budget deficit will widen more than expected and the GDP, uh, debt-to-GDP ratio will hit 60.2% odd in 2023-2024 uh, having seen that figure actually initially go to around 59.6%. So things not necessarily looking as great as we would have hoped. The all share gaining nearly 1% to close out the day at 55,691 points yesterday by close of trade. Gold miners, a very great day for them. 7.5% for those gold miners. Uh, platinum stocks also going up 2.74% uh, soon after the JC closed as well. Gold is up around a quarter of a percent there. Platinum had added 1.8% as well. Uh, out in the United States, things were fairly flat 
across the day. So let's unpack the numbers. Right now, it's uh, around 14 rand flat for a US dollar. Uh, Euro will set you back 15 rand 89 cents. It's 18 rand 27 for a British pound. Uh, The United States last night was uh, marginally up, but mostly flat across the day with the NASDAQ at 7,489, mostly unmoved. Two-tenths of a percent higher for the S&P 500, 2,784 points. The Dow Jones Industrial, a quarter of a percent higher. This morning, in Asia, things are looking quite bright. Four-tenths of a percent higher for the Nikkei, uh, sitting at 21,522 points. Shanghai's uh, composite is a third of a percent to the good. 2,731, 71 rather. Hang Seng is at 28,698. That's two-thirds of a percent to the good. $1,339, a fine ounce for gold. Platinum at $827.50, a fine ounce. Brent crude. Now going up and headed towards that $70 a barrel mark, $67.28 a barrel. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronson on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. It's eight minutes after seven and to delve more in, uh, into the markets, we're joined in studio by Chris Gilmore, who's an independent analyst. And of course, we do have our special co-host, Mted Tunyati, the CEO of Altran. Chris, I'm going to start off with you, uh, just taking in what Arabile said, your assessment of yesterday's market performance. And at some point, did the market even take into consideration the budget speech? Yeah, look, I, if you ask my score, I give them five. Um, and I, look, I I actually left thinking it was it was a reasonable performance. It was a really gutsy performance. He, I mean, he's he's it, it was a virtuoso performance in many ways. He, I think I think Tito actually loves the stage and he's he's a great uh, talker. So, but if you actually look at the meat of what he said, uh, I think I tend to agree with Arabile. This was not the kind of very profound kind of budget that we were all looking for. And um, I must be fair. I mean, over the past 30 or 40 years that I've looked at these budgets, I've usually been disappointed in, in, that, in that respect. You, you, all, you always have to pick away and think, well, you know, what was all that about? I mean, the, the, the bailout in inverted commas of Eskom, which isn't a bailout at all, it's going to amount to about 150 billion rands over 10 years. Um, look, I, I, the thing that Tito said is this, we are not assuming um, Eskom's debt. They're going, they, they, they incurred the debt. They're going to have to pay it, repay it. That's all very well, and that's very good, and I think that's music to the ears of the, um, the, the ratings agencies. But when you've got a triple C rating, you're not going to be able to get any more debt to, to repay that debt. So they're going to have to find some sort of elegant way out of this. Um, and as a consumer, I find that a little bit concerning because it, <laughs> it probably means there's a bit more load shedding in prospect as mm-hmm. the year progresses. Um, but it was tough, you know, in the sense that... Um, Although the budget deficit is going to be rising a bit, uh, perhaps not quite as much uh, next year as we thought. 4.5 is again 4.7%, which I think was what most people were looking at. And talking tough on the uh, on public servants' wage increases. Yeah. Um, so I think he, he put forward a few new refreshing ideas about uh, trying to get some sort of real fiscal consolidation. And I think in, in many ways it actually should be welcomed. But it was an enormously tough task. Mm. And I think he came out of it uh, pretty, pretty well, actually. Mteto, if you had to rate it out of 10, and your thoughts on, on the speech as well. Look, uh, I'm a bit um, of, of an optimist, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I will give him a 7. And the reason why I'm giving him a 7 is because I think what he has done is, is quite courageous. Uh, if you look at, uh, at all of those MPs, the, the uh, MPs of the party that he belongs to, uh, their reaction when he was delivering this, none of them were quite pleased. Meaning you, you, you have somebody standing up there delivering bad news. Uh, almost everybody, all, all leaders like to deliver good news, but he had to be the one who delivers those bad news. Uh, and and he did it and and to me that's the kind of courage that we're looking for when it comes to leadership uh, we need to take those tough decisions everybody is so easy to say no i'm going to be bailing escom i'm going to be bailing sabc or or, or or saa very easy to do that but what are the consequences if you do that so what he has done is actually taking us on a path where we need to continue on this path of, of doing things the right way, even if they are painful in the short term. Mm-hmm. So I liked this, this dance that he took. All right. So in terms of saying that leaders like to deliver good news, and occasionally I find myself, uh, Chris, 
having to look at Mr. Trump's tweets to see if there's any kind of indication of good news, whether he hints that U.S.-China trade relations are, um, I suppose, going smoothly or positively. So far, when you look at the global picture, whether you're taking in U.S.-China trade, you're looking at Brexit and various other things, the risks you may have identified in the beginning of this year, are they starting to slowly abate or are they still right there glaring and they still need to be tackled? Oh, no, they're very much uh, in, in, in our face. And I think they're unlikely to go away. If anything, I think they're, they're likely to, to, to get actually to get, get worse as the year progresses. I mean, let's take China, for example, the world's biggest growth vector for many, many years since 1979. Since Deng Xiaoping started his uh, his, his kind of great, uh, I, I, I hate to call it the Great Leap Forward because that was Mao Zedong, but it was a similar type of thing. Um, no, it, China is definitely slowing down, and there are many reasons why China has to slow down in, in the next few years. I mean, first of all, you've got a base effect coming in. Uh, secondly, you've got a thing called the Lewis Turning Point. One of the things that uh, um, uh, made China the fantastic success story it's been has been the movement of people from the, 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 the rural to the urban areas. And that has, has largely petered out. So that's why you've got all these ghost cities, uh, these zombie banks and stuff like that in, in, in China. China is definitely slowing down. You mustn't believe the figures that China produces. I mean, you know, three weeks after the end of the year, they have these wonderful figures showing you how clever they are. No, no, you've got to take that with a, a bit of a pinch of salt. But I think China is definitely slowing down. America is definitely slowing down. By third and fourth quarter this year, um, you're going to be into one and a half, two percent, maybe if we're very, very lucky. And going into next year, I think there's the, the, the definite prospect of a recession in the US. So to answer your question, Tash, I think as the year goes on, the global situation is is only going to get worse in terms of growth. All right. Well, we'll uh, continue that conversation uh, a little bit later on with uh, Chris Gilmore and, of course, some Ted Sinyati as well, the CEO of Altron, talking about some of the risks he may have identified. We'll talk about globalization and uh, we'll talk about Altron, uh, the company itself. All of this uh, coming up a little bit later on in the show. Every morning, Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. All right, let's continue that uh, budget uh, uh, unpacking as well, shall we call it. Uh, did the budget meet economic expectations? That becomes a question, of course. Yes, we've had quite a few uh, ratings with regards to it. You can, of course, read the entire speech if you if you haven't gotten to read it as well, whether it be on Treasury's website or, of course, on the money website as well it is up and running there as well we also do have a uh, budget 2019 in a nutshell page as well just talking about the the things that perhaps stole the limelight and of course nothing other than uh, escom seems to be of uh, of some massive importance of course national treasury uh, provisionally setting aside 150 billion rand over a 10-year period which would be allocated in stages in order to uh, uh, incentivize the required reforms within the institution, or as they're calling it, a reconfiguration. So let's chat about this. Dumisho Greater, economic strategist at Navarra Investments, joins us on the line. Dumisho, you were in Cape Town. You were at the budget speech as well there. Do tell, what is your rating of that speech? Uh, thank you so much for having me, Aravile. You know, I do think that National Treasury and the, you know, the Finance Minister, by extension, uh, certainly try to put together a credible budget. Um, I mean, one thing is we obviously have sacrificed our fiscal stance. So you're seeing there's going to be a widening um, of the budget deficit in terms of our debt-to-GDP ratio. That's also you know, breached that 60% mark slightly. So we're sitting at around 6 point, uh, 60.2. But this was really to eliminate the biggest risk that we are facing, which is ESCOM. Um, as you mentioned in the intro, you know, National Treasury did tell us that they've given us a lot of thought to provisionally that actually looked at about 150 billion rand that they would give to ESCOM, but they needed to ensure that it comes with strict um, conditions. So this is by no means a handout. This debt needs to be repaid at some point. Um, so they've you know, put together a couple of measures. For example, there's going to be um, an uh, implementation or a rather uh, put something called, uh, I think it's a CRO. Um, and, and, and really, I think this is a, a big game changer for South Africa in that our electricity market is mm. in a stage of reform at the moment. Sure. Um, so I think you know, it, was, it was really a very, very fine balancing act. 
Um, but, you know, ESCOM still in, remains our biggest risk. And if we didn't eliminate that, then I think we'd be in a far worse position. So out of 10, how much would you give it? Oh, well, I would think I would <laughs> give it about it. It's always a very tough one. I mean, if you look at the negatives and the positives, I would still say because it's quite credible, uh, I would give it about a 7 um, out of 10. The only issues that I would have is that there aren't any um, timelines given on certain things to be implemented. Mm. So, you know, the minister and in the budget review say they will be announced in the months ahead. So you still that, there's still that implementation risk uh, that sits there. So, I mean, that is a problem. We could even know what's going to happen. Um, they have increased the contingency reserves in the in the chance that you're not going to be, you know, you're going to need further funding. Hopefully, it's going to be enough for the tune of six billion uh, rand. So, in terms of its credibility, that's where the seven comes in. Um, and and I think that some hard decisions were also taken in that yes, this is an electioneering year, but they understood the importance of of keeping that wage bill in check. Um, so some of the things have happened through natural attrition. So you have seen you know older uh, people moving um, out of these state institutions and younger people coming in. So therefore, they would not be as experienced and they'd earn less. Yeah. Um, and then also you know they're encouraging that early uh, retirement. But I think the problem there comes with it could sacrifice you know, those skills. So if you're seeing young, I mean, older, more experienced people that are leaving, um, this also opens up, you know, the fact that you could see those skills being moved away. But, you know, they're, they're putting salary freezes in place, and, and that is quite encouraging, especially given the fact that, as mentioned, it is in an electioneering year, which you would maybe not expect um, something like that to, to take place. Demisha, though, was there a sufficient... Uh, accountability added to the speech and I only ask that because yes the condition with regards to ESCOM is of course that chief uh, reorganization officer but in terms of timelines as you said we don't have a timeline for how long ESCOM is going to take to get its reconfiguration in place Uh, we don't have timelines with regards to you know yes we have uh, SAA's one which was 2021 whether that is still in place we still don't know the likes of SAA you know was it not worthwhile as well putting in place to say to them yes we give you a chief reorganization officer but you have three four five years to set this in motion and this is the stage where we want you at or else are we not perhaps kicking the can down the road with regards to our SOEs I think that that exactly is it. Um, the fact that we don't know what the next, you know, the next timelines and steps are. I think what has been encouraging is that look, they've put aside that 150 billion, yeah. but within the three years, we've got that 69 billion that's going to be coming in. Um, but whether or not they exercise or they give the, you know, the remainder out of the 150 billion will be dependent on how well those reforms are going. Mm. Um, so yeah, we are look, we are sitting in a position where we are, are hoping that we're able to implement this because I do think the things in those SOEs are looked at differently. Um, we are almost taking on a, you know, a, a private sector approach in, in having uh, the CRO. I mean, I think National Treasury explained it to us as having yeah. um, in the banking sector, like having a curator, um, yeah, somebody who yeah. would, you know, who would be there watching to make sure that everything is in place. And now also having these um, you know, salaries uh, being linked to performance. So. You know, those are the, the types of things that we do and the changes that we do need to see. Um, yeah. Timelines, yeah, that is, still, that is still something that we're not completely sure about. But also, you know, yeah. Aravila, I think having um, this uh, funding, also some, from a consumer perspective, I mean, there are a lot of things in the budget that unfortunately may not be the best for consumers. Yeah. I mean, you've got fuel, you've got um, carbon taxes that are going to be coming in and a lot of other things. But I think if you take a look at the ESCOM tariff increases, now that they've been able to secure this funding from the government, it may take the pressure off a little bit in terms of that 17% that has been requested by ESCOM. To we Nerva. can only hope, actually. That, that's we can only hope. One. We can only hope. <laughs> yes or no? Do we stave off a downgrade? Yes or no? I'm going to go with no. Okay. Really because well, I feel like a big ass. No. Okay. That's, that's, that's okay. the only one I was, I was interested in. Okay. So you say no. Bit of a negative twist to that seven out of ten that you gave to the finance minister now on, but we'll we'll certainly see what happens. Indeed, it will be a difficult one to uh, to put out. But Dumisha Greater, really appreciate your time, the economic strategist at Navari Investments, there unpacking that budget picture for us. We'll continue to do that throughout the show. Very quickly, let's get into your traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gomede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business Breakfast with MoneyWeb.
23 minutes after 7, Basasa, which is also known as African Global Operations, did announce that uh, they will be filing for liquidation this after commercial banks pulled the plug on their accounts. But we're going to be talking to Nkabit Moachi, who is the national chairperson of FOSA, which is the financial sector and allied workers union of South Africa. They are not happy with uh, some of the jobs that are going to be lost. In fact, all of the jobs that are going to be lost at Basasa and uh, also find it quite convenient or rather are not convinced by the bank's uh, reasons for closing the company's accounts. And to go on to this a little bit more is Nkobeti herself. Thank you so much uh, for your time. So what do you make of some of the revelations that have come out of Basasa? Because I suppose it's part of this that the banks have distanced themselves and as a result, unfortunately, people will leave, uh, will lose their jobs. Uh, thank you very much, Arabile. And uh, yes, it's a he, by the way. <laughs> um, with regard to the, the goings of the source, I mean, um, we believe that this liquidation is actually just a story for, for a cover-up and for the mess that has already been, been done. And um, also, as you said, we, we point a finger at the bank because it's not like this thing happened yesterday. Obviously, because um, Bosasa was the client all along, they should have known or ought to have known that uh, there was something happening there. Now, to come and uh, actually cite the, the fact that there will be reputational risk, it, it's really suspicious at that point in time. However, with regard to Bosasa itself, we are happy that ultimately the truth is coming out, but it's unfortunate that that particular truth is costing our people their jobs. And uh, that's exactly... Um, uh, the reason why we said um, the government will have to intervene because we are talking about a number of people here. I mean, the figure of 4,500, that can uh, actually expand to 25,000 because each person has got at least five people that they actually depend on. So that's why we are saying we cannot just leave it like that. We know it has happened with your with your uh, the Gupta, Gupta companies where people were just left in the leash. And that's not what we want. That's why we are saying um, the government should at least try and intervene. And the intervention that we are looking for is uh, twofolded. One is that uh, those two, uh, some of the work that they are doing, for example, at Lindela, um, for correctional, um, as a correctional uh, uh, center, it can easily be absorbed into the Department of Correctional Service because they are doing exactly the same job. Uh, and that's what we've been arguing for for the last two years with the company to say they are actually doing more than what a normal security officer would do. We also have those who are actually um, in the uh, youth care centers who are doing exactly the same thing as their counter, uh, counterparts in the Department of Social Development. So hence we are saying these people should not lose their jobs. At least they need to be absorbed, and we are also aware of the fact that some of them might not have all the necessary qualifications, but that is something that can easily be addressed by making sure that at least there is on service training, if there is anything uh, over and above what they are doing at the present moment. Right. Have you started uh, engaging with the necessary parties within government in order to find some kind of solutions, and what has been the feedback that you've received? Uh, we actually approached uh, a law firm in, in Bobstack um, so that we can assist in this regard. But then, in the view of the, the liquidation application, uh, we said that uh, perhaps um, that's where we will need to make our representations. So yesterday already, we were with the and we said part of their investigation will be, uh, one, where did the money go to so that they can recover? Two, check who has been responsible. Um, uh, for example, your banks, your intelligence center, because obviously they also did not do their job in this case. The auditors, both internal and external, so that they can get as much money as possible and where possible soon, so that we can also make demands, whatever that will come out of this. So basically, with regard to talking to government um, directly, we haven't done that, but through uh, that law firm, whom we actually nominated also for, for, for the, to be the liquidators. And we are hopeful because this morning at 11 o'clock, I believe, they will be um, announcing or rather the applications for liquidators must be in at the, at the High Court. And we are confident that when we are present there, we will then be able to actually uh, channel our, 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 our discussions through them.
Right. Nkabitsi, thank you so much for your time this morning. That's Nkabitsi Mwachi, who is the national chairperson of uh, FAUSA. Ntetsu, I'm going to bring you into this conversation uh, for a bit. We have the Zonda Commission, which is still underway. We have the PIC inquiry and we had the SARS inquiry not too long ago. And a lot of citizens may be sitting watching uh, on TV or even hearing about these revelations, which, I mean, are shocking in some instances. From your perspective, not just as a CEO of Altran, as a citizen of South Africa, what do you hope happens after all of these inquiries when you, you know, follow them? You know, as as a country, we the first thing is for me is good that we are going through all of this process uh, because it is helping people to better understand what is going on. Uh, it's always good to act from a base or from a point of having accurate information. So we all now know. Uh, we also do know that uh, there are certain leaders. <laughs> you know, you know, we we, we can be. Uh, uh, electing people who are who are populist uh, but now we understand some of the consequences of the actions that we took about eight years ago you know and 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 it may be a painful thing that we had to go through all of this thing but to most people now that they understand that they need to take the, the, the time to to better choose the right kind of leaders to lead us forward. So that's the first thing uh, for, for me. The, the second thing is when I look at, at all of these companies like Bosasa, and I'm sure there are so many other Bosasa that are out there that we still don't know, and they, they are going to be coming out. And if we keep asking for the government to be bailing out the people, you need to ask yourself the questions, would these companies be successful had they not been operating the way that they have been mm. you know if 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 the answer is no which i believe it is a no then maybe those jobs should not have been there in the first place you know i, I know it's a bit of, of a harsh position but uh, we, we we really need to be careful about uh, asking the government we 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 have been looking at the the budget which has been delivered by Tito now uh, where we're trying to drive down uh, the wage bill yeah. uh, and and how do you then drive down the wage bill if you are going to be taking all of these people you know mm. yeah so, so so that is my my view about this matter all <laughs> right well yeah. uh, we'll continue that conversation uh, but right now let's have a look at news headlines Every morning, Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Let's continue to uh, unpack that budget. Uh, Did the budget address South Africa's business needs? That becomes the question now. Andrew Ballman, MD for Deal Leaders Africa. Uh, Not a new voice to the show, of course. Andrew, thank you so much for your time this morning. Let's quickly get your rating out of 10 for that budget speech. Well, firstly, morning. Thanks, thanks for having me, Arabile. Um, yeah, I'd probably give it about a six. Um, yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's a whole lot yeah, more positive than some of us here in studio as well. Yourself, uh, yeah. Teto Nyati has given it a seven. Uh, Dumisho Greater earlier on gave it a seven as well. There's some positivity here. I think what look, I suppose one has to look at um, look for the light between the shadows. And yeah, look, it was always going to be a tough call. You mm. know, I think it is a situation where. Firstly, it's a, it is an election year, so I think one has to be prudent. And I think it is, you know, one has to get back to basics as well. And I think, you know, there's been a, um, it's been a couple of years of slog for your, your average business owner to speak. And I think, you know, all of us want uh, to, we wish we could flip a switch and everything would improve. Um, yeah, but there's still a lot of work to do, you know. And I think, unfortunately, you know, a lot of what was presented in the budget doesn't necessarily translate into you know, short, even medium-term benefit for, for your average business owner in the street. And, and I suppose then the question becomes, you know, he spoke about easing regulation for small business owners and the like, and he even gave up more money for, for incubations within the small business sector in particular. But do you think that biz, big business will be encouraged to invest more in South Africa because of this budget? Will it perhaps give some sense of direction? I'm going to answer it, you know, probably like an economist where I say 50% yes, 50% no. I think the the reality is, you know, uh, anybody's going to invest in, in any geographical destination or market for growth. You know, so really it's to go back to the fundamentals. And yeah, you know, I think incubation and, and those types of um, investments are critical, but it's, you know, incubation is, is a very long-term strategy. You know, it's really around, you know, for me, it was how do you stimulate some of the, the bigger issues in the economy by 
creating employment, incentivizing foreign investors, firstly to invest and to encourage them to hire people to work to start stimulating the economy. So I think from that perspective, you know, I think, you know, foreign markets do, or foreign investors, particularly the ones we deal with, they want certainty. And I think, you know, it's, it, it is about growing a, a line in the sand um, and hopefully starting to bed down some of the, the questions that have been floating around for a long time. But I, I still think there's a lot of work to do, immediate work, I think, to, to fix the problem because we haven't got 20 years for, you know, young people to grow into, into budding entrepreneurs. We've got an economy to, to try and save and, more importantly, grow, um, you know, in the, in the very short term. One of the lines in the speech uh, was, um, you know, whether if, well, government is doing everything it can to perhaps relax visa regulations in order to not just increase tourism, but also to ensure that people can invest in our country. Do you think that does put things at ease a little bit? Does it, does it address uh, the ease of doing business in South Africa? I, th- I think, you know, the ease of doing business is such a broad term. Yeah, from a visa perspective, it's definitely good news. You know, one looks at um, certain areas where, especially if it's at the cabinet, it's re- there's been a lot of red tape. I think it's really also, you know, what are the incentives to come and do business in South Africa? You know, there's, there's obviously a lot of uh, legislation and red tape and, and those sort of components. So, you know, speaking to, you know, a number of, a number of parties that have bought our clients over the years, you know, they've all said it, it's not easy. You know, I think the, the DTR positions are a very powerful offering, but the day-to-day practicalities aren't easy. Um, and I think, you know, so, so I'm hoping it's a step in the right direction. Um, what does ease of doing business, you know, mean? Yeah, hopefully it, it's relatively easy to, to set up a business and start trading. But, but it's, got to, it's got to be economically viable, you know, and I think it's one of those things where if you're coming into a pressurized economy and there's a lot of red tape, I think your tolerance for that red tape is relatively low. If there's stimulation and you're being incentivized in ways that stimulate the economy, I think your tolerance level will be uh, basically a lot higher. Yeah. Your biggest takeaway then from that budget? We've got a lot of work to do. You know, I think it's unfortunately, you know, there's, there's still quite a lot of blood in the water out there. You know, we're exposed to, to pretty much most industries in the country. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's going to, unfortunately, at this stage, you know, the focus has got to be on, on stabilizing the economy, but a lot of the work is still left up to the business owner themselves. Andrew Balman, appreciate your time this morning. Andrew Balman is the MD for Deal Leaders Africa, talking just about whether it really answered some of those business needs. Uh, also, as we said, continuously joining us in studio this morning. Do you think it dealt with uh, the needs of business? Mm, I, I don't necessarily think so. You know, there, there's so much that he had to deal with. Uh, what is good, at least from a business perspective, is that uh, the, the corporate tax was not increased. Yeah. But the fact that uh, at an individual level, uh, you find that the consumers uh, out there continue to be burdened by even more taxes, uh, that has got indirect uh, uh, impact on business in a mm. way. Uh, the fact that we're seeing uh, increases in the fuel in, and, and all of that, that has got a negative impact on business. Mm. Uh, but it is, it, we continue to be happy to see that there is a strong focus and a move towards policy. Because mm. that's ultimately that is the reason why people choose to make investment because they can look in 10 years' time and if we have got this thing, then we can model things and, and make, make decisions. And I think we're moving more towards that direction. Uh, we also do need to look at the policies themselves, not yeah. just policy certainty. Yeah. The policies are the policies enabling the growth. Uh, we talk about uh, we are in the fourth industrial revolution era, uh, but what is it that we are doing to try and make sure that uh, in the rural areas, our schools, our hospitals, our clinics are all connected uh, so that the people who are out there, can they, they can drive innovation, they can mm. come up with mm. ideas and commercialize those ideas. And, and that, to me, that's the aspect that it, it was, did not come true yeah. as I was listening through the, the budget. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, an interesting facet there, of course, Nteto Nyati, CEO of Altron, indeed, joining us in studio. After the next traffic break, we will, of course, start cappuccino with the CEO. Yes, fine. We don't have real cappuccino. We can't have uh, hot liquids inside the studio. We might just mess around with the equipment. But indeed, it will be a time for us to unpack things at Altron, unpack whom Nteto Nyati really is. And we'll get, you t- uh, get to chat to him about that right after uh, the next traffic spot as well. But before we get to that... Tash, you don't have a Samsung.
I used to, and then uh, I fell in love with the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, and I can tell you now that the Apple ecosystem <laughs> is probably shivering in its boots. Pete, do you have an Apple? Samsung. Samsung. Okay, Chris, you have a you have a Samsung as well, yeah. right? I'm Teto, you we see you have an, an an Apple iPhone there. All right. Well, <laughs> Samsung yesterday released its new phone or announced, make the big reveal about its new phone, which will be released on, I think, April the 23rd or April the 26th. It's a foldable phone, which doesn't have any seams in between, right? So it's a phone that, it's almost like the old Nokia. I don't know if you remember what the old Nokia sort of looked like, but instead it's just touchscreen everywhere. It's really wafer thin though, despite all of this, and opens up to become basically a tablet, it's going for a thousand nine hundred and eighty US dollars. Direct translation at fourteen rand is about twenty eight thousand rand. You can bet your bottom dollar it's going to be a whole lot more than that once it comes to South Africa. But I just thought the innovation of taking a phone that is still going to seem absolutely thin and look like the Samsung Galaxy S nine actually, but be able to unpack that and make it a little bit bigger into a little mini tablet. That's absolutely phenomenal. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Cash, you might want to reconsider, man. You might no, just but want I to think reconsider. Tim Cook was watching yesterday thinking all the creatives, everyone who does new phones, bring them all in. <laughs> Nobody's going home tonight. We need to come we up with something. Some way to fix this and make things better. Has anyone looked way. at telepathy? Like, how do we, <laughs> how do we move to the next level? Find something. Put anything in there. It's going to be absolutely crazy. I can't wait for the phone to drop in April. Um, I think I will pre-order tomorrow if it was even possible. But anyway, let's get to your traffic. Every morning, Arabile Gumede and Anastasia Aronsa on Classic Business. Breakfast with MoneyWeb. Cappuccino with the CEO. 7.43. And our cappuccino with the CEO is Mtetsunyati, is the CEO of uh, Altron. Before that, he was with uh, MTN South Africa and uh, worked at Microsoft and IBM. And if you caught us at the beginning of the show, you've heard his voice uh, in between some of the interviews that we had. Uh, Mr. Nyati, thank you once again for joining us and welcome to Cappuccino with the CEO. I mean, I was looking at your track record and your bio, which is quite extensive. You're a mechanical engineer. Yes. And I was curious, thinking to myself, where did it all start? Like when you looked at career options when you were a teenager, was mechanical engineering that or did you fall into it? You know, uh, when I was in grade uh, 12, uh, I was fortunate to represent South Africa in the International Science Olympiad. Uh, and we had that in the UK. So I had to travel to the UK. When I left here, I did an interview and, and people ask me, what is it that you want to be? <laughs> and, and I said, I'm, I wanted to be a doctor. You know? <laughs> and when I came back after that two weeks uh, in, in the UK, having been exposed to all, the, all of the various careers, I was very clear that, in fact, being a doctor is the last thing that I should be doing. I should actually be an engineer. So that's when it But when I left, I did not have a clue. And all I knew, when I look at the people around me, it was doctors, it was teachers, nurses, you know, that's all that I knew. So that's when it came. Speaking of people around you, generally when you're in your teenage years, you have people that shape and mold you as a kid, be it your teachers or even a member of, community, of a community that you admire. When you were growing up, who were your role models that, uh, whose leadership you admired, who you know, took you under their wing and you aspired to make them proud of you? Yeah. There are a lot of people that have helped me throughout this process, but uh, I would say that the person who stands out is my mother. You know, uh, growing up uh, in a rural village, and uh, both of my parents were teachers, and she made a decision earlier on that she wanted to, to branch out to become an entrepreneur, and she started this uh, trading store. Uh, that was supporting our village there. And to cut the long story short, actually she is the person who single-handedly lifted our entire family from poverty, in, I would say, into a, a different level. And, and to me, the way, the way she was 
uh, interacting with customers, her own customers, how she was uh, relating to the people that she had employed. Uh, it sent a message, and, and, and I always tried to, to act the way she did because she respected both her customers and the employees that, she, well, that were working for her. I was uh, doing a bit of research on you and you mentioned that uh, she was the first woman you knew who had a Code 10 driver's license. Yes, and she ba- yes. basically <laughs> broke the mold of what was expected of women in society. Exactly. I mean, I mean here you are you're in, a, in a village and having this, uh, no, in a village uh, at that time, women did not, uh, not even drive cars. Here was, she was, she was driving this truck and, 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 and it just, change completely the way us mm. related to, to women, meaning growing up there. Uh, and also, I think it sent a, a big message throughout our village about the possibilities, you know. And, and yeah, uh, she made a big impact on not just our lives in terms of the community and mm. many of the people that know her. Mm. But the one thing I found mm. uh, also equally impressive is that you may not have been a medical doctor, but they someone else became a medical doctor in yes, your family yes, and yes. so there's two engineers a medical doctor a yes. lawyer a yes. physiotherapist some press yes. family yes you know um, my younger brother Afundile, uh, he ended up becoming the doctor in the family well his and name <laughs> sounds like that <laughs> his name just says it all right Afundile, like, yeah yeah he, he became the doctor in the family and he is so passionate about the space and my my father was so happy that because my father wanted wanted me to be the doctor mm-hmm. and and I I chose not to be and he was so happy to finally have the one and and also my younger sister uh, ended up becoming a physiotherapist you know yeah so yeah but we all took it from our mm-hmm. parents uh, their love of education they they focused on that and said you guys you can change your lives if you to just focus on education mm-hmm. and i think that's what we need in this country we need more and more people uh, really taking education seriously uh, because education can transform lives mm-hmm. the early days of uh, mm-hmm. your career i mean what would you say were some of the lessons learned and some of the things you discovered about yourself as you progressed up the corporate ladder you know, I'm not one of those people that are the most vocal. Uh, uh, I'm more, I can even be defined as a quiet person. And, and you, are, you get boxed if, you, if you've got traits like that. You know, I'm an introvert, you know. So there are certainly certain things that people say, if you are like this, you cannot be. You cannot be a leader. It's not expected for, for me to become a leader. When in reality, now that uh, you know, I've, I've gone through what I've gone through, I realize that, in fact, we can all be leaders. You know? And each one of us brings certain things to the table. You know? uh, people like me, uh, <laughs> they are very good listeners. Uh, as a result, if you look at, at, at many people, almost all of us want to be heard. You know, we want to be heard. And the fact that you can give uh, uh, the people that are working for you the time, uh, you listen to them, that is a big thing to people, you know. And, 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 and so I, I realize that it's not just one type of leader. We need different types of, uh, of leaders in, in our society. You know? mm. If we talk about leadership, you, you mentioned that you know, you, mm. it's expected that you perhaps wouldn't be a kind of leader because of mm. uh, perhaps an introverted stance or whatever that may, may be. But yeah. you know, a lot of people say our names say a lot about who we become, right? <laughs> uh-huh. and, and my name being Arabila, apparently I have all the answers. I beg to differ, but that's a, <laughs> a story for another day. Mm. Mteto is basically handing down the law. <laughs> Would that mean that you're, you're the kind of person as well in your leadership style that, yes, may seem quiet, but is certainly about, you know, putting down the law and saying to people that this is how we should do things and you, and you stand by it, you know, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's a necessary evil. Yes, you, you, you may have heard me earlier saying that uh, it is, <laughs> I, I kind of like what Tito did. Mm. Because uh, it was he, he he did something that was unpopular, but it had to be done. So I am um, the things that drive me. I would say really is, is two things: uh, is justice and is fairness. You know, those are the two things that at, are at the core of who I am. Yeah. And and if you unpack my name, yes, it is there is a little bit of law there, but 
if you look at it depending on context is actually justice you yeah. know and 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 that is that is really at the core of who, of who I am that's how I try to live and as a result when it, when it comes to things like diversity and inclusion you know I'm passionate about that you yeah. know because I like to see fairness in the workplace you know yeah sure mm -hmm. I have to ask this. So when I was, uh, you know, reading your bio a little bit earlier and I read it to the listeners, um, we sp it mentioned MTN and how you returned to growth. Since being at Altron, how has the company changed since you've been appointed as CEO? Look, uh, I was approached uh, to come and join uh, Altron when I was in the middle of the turnaround uh, at, at MTN, it was not the easiest of decisions because I always like to complete what uh, what I've started. Uh, but when I looked at how messy things were in Altron, that attracted me. Uh, I'm naturally an engineer. I look at the complexity of the organization at the time. Uh, I felt that this is something that, that would keep me busy for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when where, where, where we are now, we are in a better space. Uh, we are a company that is delivering results consistently. That's very important. You need to be able to deliver consistently. Uh, we are a company that is transforming itself. And if you look at the senior leadership within the company, it's starting to reflect the society that we're living in. We're a company that is deeply connected to its customers. And that's very important because we need to be helping them as they struggle uh, to drive digital transformation. We need to guide them uh, with that company now. And when I look at within the South African context, I believe that we have just we've, we've become uh, a leader in the ICT space uh, just in two in two years. Uh, and I'm, I'm telling you, we are nowhere close to our full potential. There's so much that we still have to do and so much that we will be delivering in, 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 in terms of South Africa. So I'm excited, uh, but we could only do that not just because of the leader. It's largely because of the people that we have in our organization, black, white, colored and Indian, all of them being behind the journey that we are driving, a journey to say that we must make Ultron it's more like a microcosm of the kind of South Africa that we want to live in. Mm. You know, we need to show that there can be success, and we are delivering on that. Mm. Yeah, I, mm. I want to bring Chris Gilmore into mm. the conversation, if I if I can, Chris. And mm. uh, just as an analyst, you continue to perhaps look at certain companies, especially in the sort of tech space as well, which uh, is part and parcel in some way or other that Altron sort of plays in. What have your sentiments been around Altron and then inducing, of course, Mtetonyati's uh, appointment to the company? Did you perhaps see a shift market-wise? Did analysts feel a, 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 you know, a different sense when, when it came to the market? Altron today is completely unrecognizable from only two or three years ago. I went to the presentation a few months ago. And I had a long chat with Mike Liming, the, the chairman, and he, and he said, look, no, no, you, you, you actually got to understand what's been going on here. And he, mm. and he took the time to take me through what had been happening. I was gobsmacked. I mean, really, it's quite incredible. Sinteto says, you know, the, the board is unrecognizable. I mean, this is no longer controlled by the, the, the Fenter family. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they've disposed of so many companies. It's streamlined to the, to the nth degree. I wrote a story about it in the, in the business day. And... Um, Look, I don't like punting shares on, on, on the air, but I mean, I have to say, relative to where it's been, this yeah. thing is incredibly cheap. Uh, and if, if the best is yet to come, which I, I firmly believe it is, then I think uh, there's, there's great value in this thing. I suppose then that brings up the next question, Bob Nyati. Where to from here? Where to from here? Look, we have set ourselves a goal of, of over the next five years. That was two years ago. We said in five years' time, we want to double uh, the, uh, the size of our business in terms of profits. Yeah. And, and we have got that five-year plan. We are two years in, in that, and we are ahead of that five-year plan. And we need to continue to deliver on that plan. We have made that commitment to the market. We want to deliver and over-deliver on that. So that's the first thing. Yeah. Uh, but we are sitting on a base of about 20,000 customers here in South Africa. Uh, even if we do not gain one single customer, if you look at how much we have penetrated those 20,000 customers, there is so much to do with our existing customers. Yeah. Our focus is on driving organic growth in those customers. Mm. All right. Mm. Well. So the moment we've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> so we do this every week uh, when we have cappuccino with the CEO. Mm. Arabita is going to ask you a sports-related question. And this will determine whether...
beyond the you know the walls of the studio we will be able to cement a strong friendship between ourselves <laughs> and Mtetonyati. So, so just a disclaimer I mean I have interviewed Mtetonyati for you know a number of times yes. before you know and, and we've even been seen uh, you know once or twice in, in a few social gatherings as well so this will allow us to now be able to have a conversation about anything from here on in. So this is going to be very important. Uh-huh. In terms of sports which are your your, your biggest sports or your favorite sports if, if you were to watch any right now yeah i would say it's uh it's soccer and and uh yeah the racing okay racing. okay mm-hmm. let's go with the with the with the soccer then the teams you support locally and internationally this is this is the most important question and and i'm just saying there is a right answer <laughs> <laughs> you know i i was sharing a little story with with my with my team about uh, about happy people there's one operation which which is not doing very well yes but but when we did an, a, a survey of the people in that organization we found that they were so happy but in terms of business performance, are not doing well. So they were asking, how is this possible? And I said, you know, I belong to a, a, a team of happy people. Oh, <laughs> that, that says, that says a lot. When in the past, there's uh, this track record of not being very successful yeah. in Orlando Pirates, you know. So I, uh, my favorite team is Orlando Pirates. Fantastic. That's yeah. exactly mine. And internationally? Internationally, hey, it's, uh, it's Liverpool. Mm, yeah. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> so this weekend is very important, I must say, right? Yeah, so Tash, I'm, I'm, as you know, of, of course, going to Manchester to go watch that game against Liverpool yeah. uh, at Old Trafford. Telling you now, I'm Teto, I'm going to come back with a Manchester souvenir just for you <laughs> if we manage to win that one. Uh, and car racing, I'm going to take a guess and just say Lewis Hamilton. Mm, no? no, 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 no. Wait no, a second. No, no, no. What? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've always been a Michael Schumacher fan. Of course, and yeah. linked to that is the Ferrari. So, so that's uh, so it's, Sebastian it's more, Vettel. Yeah, yeah, it's more, it's more the the the, the car yeah. than necessarily the person. Yeah. So I'm I'm behind Ferrari. Okay. Mm-hmm. No, that's mm-hmm. certainly interesting one. Look, mm-hmm. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it nonetheless. I think it's awesome, and we can continue being friends from here on. I think you need to bring more than a souvenir if <laughs> Liverpool loses. Bring a Man United T-shirt. And hopefully Mteto will wear it at the Altron. Actually, that's a, how about we make that bet? Would, would you be willing to do that? We, we take a picture of you in a Manchester jersey. Yeah. Manchester United jersey if Liverpool lose this weekend. And if you I, I'm, got, I, I'm good with that. Fantastic. And if you lose, and I, I, I'm just saying uh, yeah. I guess I'll have to wear that Liverpool jersey, won't yeah. I? <laughs> but Mteto Nyati, really appreciate your time. It's been absolutely fun having you uh, in studio this morning with us throughout the show. The CEO of Altron. Of course, that is Cappuccino with the CEO. That brings us, of course, to the end of the show. Tash, even Chris Gilmore joining us in studio, uh, independent analyst. Thank you so much for your time as well this morning. It's been absolutely great. Yes, and I'll think very long and hard about whether I want to have a Samsung phone, but I have faith in my Apple team that they all, will come all with I'm something. Saying to you, <laughs> all I'm saying to you is just watch the video of the reveal. And I can tell you now, you, in the words of Chris Gilmore, you'll be absolutely gobsmacked. <laughs> Nonetheless, it's it uh, from us. We'll be back. Well, I'll be back tomorrow. You'll yep. be off to Manchester. Yep, I am indeed. And uh, indeed, have a wonderful one. We'll chat again next week. Uh, Chris Gilmore? It's 8 o'clock.